This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. So I'm so excited. I have um, someone who I've been just dying to meet on with me today, and welcome Molly. This is Molly of Breaking Up With Sugar, which this is not the final cover. I was really lucky, and I got an early release copy. And then I made the mistake of starting talking about it because I was so blown away by your book. And um, everybody's like, where can I get one? Where can I get one? So everybody had to wait, and there was all this pressure. But Anyway, now people have it and it's lived up to all the hype. It's, it's phenomenal. And I can't wait to have this conversation with you today. So welcome. So Thank good to you. have you here. I am fanning out. I'm so excited. I'm such a big lover of your work too, Annie. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> That's so awesome. So fun. So I would love to just like, I know you're probably sick of telling it, but I would love to dig into your story and just kind of hear you know, all the nitty gritty, where it all started, how it accumulated into this masterpiece that's sitting beside me. Yeah, well, I always think about my story. It feel, always feels a little bit divine, you know, because my, you know, I had all this personal trauma and wreckage and um, and then my professional life just started to go through it uh, with, with it. And, um, and I always say, you know, I make programs for my sickest self, right? And I write books for my sickest self. Like when I read over, when I was reading over the book, I, I, you know, there would be moments where it was like um, I was being too like new me and it, it wasn't speaking to old me. So I, I always feel really sort of on the other side of it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, when I was um, a little shy of three, my dad uh, passed away really uh, traumatically and really quickly. And you know, in that, when I figured that out and I said to my mom, you know, where's dad? And, and she said, you know, whatever you're supposed to say. Um, I, I like, it, it was, it's been told to me, like, I really turned to sugar immediately, like really turned to sugar immediately. And I think that makes all the sense in the world, um, biochemically and, uh, you know, emotionally. And so, um, you know, and I was a big bone kid from the beginning. I was like nine pounds, 12 ounces. And so, you know, but then around seven, um, and I was all about the food, right? Like we went to the amusement park. I wanted the churros, right? Like I was over at my friend's Jenny's house. I like couldn't get to the Oreos fast enough. So I was just like pretty food centric this whole time. And then when I was seven, the adults were worried about me and they took me to a nutritionist, which like, you know, I think makes sense. Um, cause I, my behaviors around food were, were troubling. And, you know, it was funny because I, re I actually remember being that nutritionist thinking to myself, like, this is not going to solve my problem. Like, I just want to eat a lot of food. And how you were like seven, you yeah. said? Yeah. So interesting. And, um, and then, you know, and then I think the story sounds like a lot of people's stories, right? Because it was really my relationship with dieting really started there. And that demoralizing cycle, right? That trauma and drama. And so I would like go on a diet and you know the diet would inevitably fail me, and um, demoralization, and weight gain, and self hate, and all of that. And then I would turn to sugar, and feel a little bit better. And then I would go on another diet, get 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 it together again, get that like hope and earnestness, and maybe I can do it again. And the diet would fail me. And you know I never thought that sugar was my problem because it was really my solution. Right. And um, and then my professional path just sort of started to come in. Like I've always been like this. Like I was like, 
I knew that nobody was solving my problem, right? And I was going, I mean, and, and like, we're not talking like I've been on two diets. Like there isn't a diet I haven't been on. There isn't a doctor I haven't been to. There isn't a self-help or paid support group. You know, I ate my way through bariatric surgery, right? Like any, wow. yeah, I'm really, I'm telling you, I'm really the poster child for this thing. <laughs> so, and, you know, and the whole time, and one of the things that I did when I was 25, I was hired to like be the clinical director of a therapeutic boarding school in California. And I was taught like very weight loss model and it was very like low fat, like calorie counting. Remember those days of like honey mustard pretzels and like fat free brownies and like yeah. Snackwell's cookies and and at that point, you know, I, it sort of worked for me because I was like in this environment where they were, they were giving me the food and I was walking a lot, whatever. But so suffice it to say, always somewhere inside of me, I knew that I wanted to find this comprehensive solution to help people. I'm not sure I signed up for like the, you know, demoralization and sadness and the path that I would have to take. But on the other side of it, it actually is okay because I've really experienced almost everything you could experience. And so I think that helps, that allows me to be helpful to others. But by the end of all of that, and so having eaten through the bariatric surgery and you know, I'm a, I'm a trained addictions professional at this point, I'm a trained eating disorders professional, like to say doing that work while being an active addict and eating disordered person different podcasts for a different time, but talk about a shame response, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm sitting there trying to help people and going home and benching my brains out, right? I mean, and it's just, um, it's a lot of healing that had to go on in my life after all of that. And, um, you know, and so I was doing this model that I'd been taught at, the, at these outpatient clinics I started. And, you know, like people weren't getting well, like some people were, but not in the way that like I knew what needed to happen, but I was not getting well. I was home every night, binging, self-hate, and I was gaining weight hand over fist, which, you know, I am a weight person because I think it has to do with our health. And, you know, I, I feel better when I weigh a certain thing, but um, I just didn't think it really looked good to the people I was treating. Also, I was really, I was really struggling. And at that point, you know, Robert, uh, Robert Lustig was coming out with his um, Bitter Truth and, you know, just was like low fat was sort of like losing its, its hype as like a, as a fad diet. I, and, um, and then my brother who like, you know, like can't do anything, my little brother quit sugar. And I was like, I mean, I was gaining weight hand over fist. I, it was out of control. And I was like, all right, I'll try it. Right. And two things happened. Right. Number one, I had detox and I was like an addictions professional. So I was like, oh boy, I don't think this is just a fad diet. And it's funny, like I knew about diabetes. Like I did not know about sugar, right? But I, those like kind of blind. So I kind of like chose not because I was protecting sugar with my life. Um, but then the other thing that happened was like, you know, my life started to get much better, much better. My cravings decreased, my skin got better, I was nicer, I could work harder, I slept better, you know, I was taking risks and 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 I and I don't, you know, and and almost, you know, imperfectly, but pretty perfectly, you know, ten and a half years later, here I am. 
Oh, it's amazing. And I always think that, you know, there's something to be said about the wounded healer, you know, the person, and, and I guess because I'm in such a similar boat, but like you, you know, the pain you've been there, you've experienced all the things. And it is, I think, like you said, it's just this divine thing for you to be the one for this. Calling. Yeah. That calling that we both have, you know, it's just, um, doing a book signing and this woman gave me a book for, and I said, is your, for her daughter. And I said, is your daughter struggling? And she said, and she said, yes. And so I just wrote in the book, like, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for you. I'm here for you. I believe in you. Let this breakup be your last. And she's like, that's so nice. I was like, that's just my truth. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm really, this is all I care. This is all I care about. Right. It's like such Whatever a course. passion. Yeah. It's a passion. What one of the things that I really appreciated about um, your work is you just you have an incredible way of taking all of these truths about what happens in the brain and that the response between sugar and alcohol in the brain is is almost identical. I mean, it's so the same and and people get confused and they think alcohol is sugar and alcohol is not sugar, but it, the body does process it very similarly, especially from a weight gain perspective. And um, but you just articulate it in in such a profound way where it's like, okay, you, and there's a reason that it's just really hard to moderate sugar. So I know this in my own life to be true. And it was funny because when I was drinking so much alcohol, sugar wasn't a big thing. It wasn't until after I stopped that my brain is like, no, but we still need this fix. And so here's the next easiest thing. And then it took on a life of its own. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I was drinking though, I did love a lychee martini. So I was always still in the sugar, you know, like I was like finding it literally anywhere I could. Yeah, I was just a pretty much red wine person. I'd, I'd be like red wine at night, coffee in the morning. That was that all I was putting in my body. Magnums, magnums. You don't, you don't drink anymore either, which is yeah, another nice. cool aspect. I am sober from alcohol. I'm sober from sugar, I'm sober from flour. And I have a great life. Like... And there's not, I'm, I, I, and there's not a minute I would uh, want to go back to any of those three, not one minute of my life. And so I'm going to ask the question, like, well, what's a treat for you then, Molly? Oh, life. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lie. I mean, but like, I mean, I still drink coffee. So uh, somebody told me I should give up coffee, and I almost, you know, snatched their eyes out. I was like, isn't it enough already? You know, <laughs> all the things. I love it. There are delicious things that don't have sugar and flour. I love a good cheddar popcorn from time to time. Love a good natural potato chip, you know? So don't worry about me. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm my way. I love it. I love it. So um, what would you, you know, if somebody is is really struggling and they're wondering, okay, is, is sugar the linchpin here? Because I think it is hard to discover. I mean, there's so many things. And I think it's the same with alcohol where we're like, you know, no, this is my friend. This is actually the duct tape holding it all together. This is not the thing tearing it all apart. Like what are some, some questions they can ask themselves or some things yeah. they can start to I, look at? I love it. And I think that that is always that little trick of the, the seductor that is sugar and alcohol and these kind of substances that we can get really dependent on. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing, right? I mean, and I, and I remember it so well. And I remember with alcohol and I remember with sugar, like, what am I going to do when? Like, how will I have a birthday again, right? Like, how, how will I, you know, and people would tell me that they didn't eat sugar. And I'd be like, 
like living in a safari, like what's that like, you know, or people tell me whatever it's like. So, you know, and so I think the, the, so the book is about breaking up a sugar, right. But it's also really about creating a new relationship with food, which mm -hmm. requires us getting rid of like dieting in a, in a huge way, because the only way you can create a relationship with food is if you stop cutting and running from this one to this one, to this one, to this one, which is culturally such a big piece of the um, unhealthy relationship that we have with food is that we can never settle in and get to know who we are and what food goes on. And so it's a really, I can't say it enough that like the second part of the book is the food plan. And I say at the second part of the book, like, don't stop here because that's just the diet, right? We need to go into these next chapters to like solidify this relationship that I'm trying to have people have because lots of people do lots of sugar cleanses, right? Like, so that's not what I'm, it's really not what I'm selling. I'm really selling recovery here. Like I'm really selling a new, a new life. And so I think it's, it's very much what you say, right? Because it's really about, you know, what is the relationship like and does it bother you? Right. So we know these, these criteria, but right. But if you, you know, you eat more than you intend to, right. And you say, I swear to God, it's a sliver of a cake, it's what I'm having at the party. And then there's like two pieces and some cookies and some, this and some, this, I mean, to me, there's also this relationship with self that happens and gets transgressed against, right. Because we don't, we're not, we're, we no longer become trustable when we make promises that we, aren't able to keep. And a lot of that is, is biochemical. You know, a big one these days is like, you go to the doctor and they say, you know, metabolic syndrome, you're close to type two diabetes. We need you to watch your sugar. You're having ice cream the next night. You know, there is a craving piece of it. You know, you're sitting in that three o'clock meeting and you're thinking, oh, God, can this meeting be over? I just, I want to go get the M&Ms from the vending machine or she has them on her desk and I want to go get them, right? And then I, I think the, a big one too, which is how you feel after, right? Like the feelings of, you know, shame, remorse, regret, you know? And, and I know for me, because I'm a real end stage in this, in, in, in the sugar one, it really hit a lot of the, the areas of my life. Like it impacted my friendships and my relationships in a tremendous way because I stopped going out I didn't want to be in any pictures. I couldn't fit into things. And so I didn't want to go to concerts. I really, it, it hit me in all the areas. I mean, in my book in chapter four, there's a relationship status quiz. So everybody can go take, take that. And I actually recommend that highly because it's a spectrum. Right. <laughs> like, I don't think everybody needs to give up sugar. Actually don't, right? And I, I know you feel that way too. And I think if you're like me, like I'm a 12 out of 12, I need a pretty big, solution for my problem. And if I'm a one out of 12, it's like, eh, I don't know. Let me, and don't, you know, as I said, smoke them if you got them, you know? Right. <laughs> and I think it's so true. I mean, that's like, what is that old saying? Like, you know, if you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so often we try to approach these things with this like oh. one size fits all approach. And it, it just doesn't work because I mean, if what, but what everything you just said, what you're talking about is it is a it is a relationship. It is a level of peace inside yourself with your behavior. Oh my God! It's and like and I, and I think that's the piece of it that I because I and when you say what do you do for fun? It's like I lived in such a destructive relationship with food for so long that ravaged me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That like 
my life is, I mean, I wake up in the morning, I, you know, there's West 4th Street, I live in New York City, I walk up these West 4th Street stairs, you know, lost, you know, lost over 175 pounds and kept it off. And it's like, I'm like, oh my goodness. I, like, I'm just, I can't even believe it half the time. You know, I put on the jeans and they fit. I only have like one size of clothing. Like, I'm like, a, I got like low grade gratitude all the time for this thing because I'm just was such a hopeless case. <laughs> so you skim over these things that are like these huge bombs, like ate my way through bariatric surgery, lost 175 pounds and kept it off. And it's just like this, like glossy, like these are like, I'm like, holy crap, that's amazing. Um, and I think that that's the message here is like, you can make a change no matter how far Absolutely. You feel like you are and how much you've tried before. It well, really is about shifting the entire paradigm of the conversation though, from, uh, okay, I'm going to keep doing all these things that actually, I, I look at things in two ways. Is it adding to the mental noise and cognitive dissonance and battle inside my head? Like every single diet I've been on every, I remember literally being strong armed by somebody early days. She had read my work and she's like, you have to take my 30 day sugar challenge. And I was uh, like, oh my gosh, like, I don't think about sugar. Like, what if I take it and then I do? And, and she's like, but I've taught, anyway, I totally was strong armed into Can doing Can I just this. say something about that, Annie? Because that, this 30 day, so the thing I really love about, I love a lot of things about you, but I love that you are a science girl and I'm a science girl too. Like, and so when I wrote this book, I was like, I am going to find the piece of data that tells me when autumn starts, right? For with food. And it was 66 days. So when somebody's doing a 30-day sugar challenge, all they're, if, and if, they're, if they really do have the sensitivity, all they're really doing is worsening the sensitivity. So explain that in a little bit more layman's terms. So if you're doing, so this is like, so when people are like, there's withdrawal from sugar, I don't know about that. I'm like, well, I bet you if you've experienced withdrawal symptoms, you just go back to sugar so you don't feel the withdrawal symptoms, right? Like that makes sense. And what are they? What do you feel? Oh my gosh. They're like any drug of choice, right? They're sweats, they're exhaustion, they're irritabilities, just those, are, those, that's, those are pretty much the big three. Um, brain fog. Um, yeah, I slept like a bear for like 20 days. <laughs> You couldn't stop sleeping. Um, so the problem with it is if you are in this sensitive crew and you're just doing a, you're just doing a cleanse, a seven day cleanse, a 30 day cleanse, you go back. I mean, from an addictions model, I mean, what the addictions model would say is you're actually making your addiction worse, right? Because it's a progressive illness over time. And so you're actually worsening your symptoms by going on and going off. And the thing about, um, issues with sugar, the thing that you're doing, whether or not you believe it's addictive or not, is you are burning out your endocrine system. And I, people, there's, in my, in my field, in the eating disorders field, there's actually a disbelief in food addiction, like the world is flat. Um, so, <laughs> but I, you cannot argue the impact that this consumption of sugar has on your endocrine system, which is kind of where it all happens. And what does that look like? when we eat too much sugar, it overproduces insulin in our body. And that, that leads to a, a few things. Number one, it, it leads to your body not being able to process sugar. It leaves sugar in your body, which uh, makes you want more sugar, 
But the, my favorite piece of data of all is that when all that excess insulin, it actually attacks your brainstem mm -hmm. and it makes you not be able to feel full. So can you imagine just, and that, I, I reson that resonates with me. I mean, I could eat for days and nonstop not, and be full and keep eating. And when that, I learned about that brainstem thing, like my whole life made sense. And the, the opposite being true, which is I find so many people who I work with here at my clinic, I'm at my clinic right now in New York City, like, they're like, I felt full. I stopped. I only ate three quarters of it. And for a real binge eater, you know, this is like literally the miracles we dream of, right? Like I just had lunch and I was like, oh, I'm done. And still I'm like, see, this is how I have fun, Annie. I'm like, oh my God, three quarters of my lunch and I'm about to throw it out. This is a miracle of science. It's amazing. It's really my truth. <laughs> I love that. So we were talking about this idea of like where, so how do you, how do you, you're listening to this and you're like, because everybody says, oh, I want to, I want to stop eating sugar. You know, I mean, everybody kind of, that's very trendy right now. Everybody's kind of on this, like, you know, but it's January, you know, yeah, it's January. Everybody's in this, you know, new year, new you, all this stuff. And, um, and so how do you like, for me, when I'm thinking of, okay, how, when someone says, how do I really tell if I have a problem with alcohol, that's like one of the most you know, yeah. typical questions. And I'm like, how free do you feel? How much are you thinking it. about it? I love this comparison I make, which is basically um, in the alcohol experiment, which is this idea of, you know, um, fixation versus um, what's the word I use? Like just basically liberty. Like, how does it feel? Like if you walk in somewhere is your first thoughts like, okay, where's the bar or where's the cupcakes or what do they have to eat? Or is your first thought who's here? And then how much of your brain space is being taken up by this either food or alcohol or whatever else you're fixated in or can't get wait to get out of this situation so you can get i mean i felt this with certain tv series where you know the feeling you've binged on a tv series then you have to go to work for eight hours and the whole day you're right. kind of like counting the out you know what i mean yeah, it just it yeah. can happen with anything but then the brain gets really fixated and um and i think we can wrap i think the well, I think with alcohol too, but certainly with food, there, there's just such a, an accepted piece of this um, overeating being like a, you know, like a normal thing, right? Like we binge and even on the, if you watch TV, it's like, I was watching 30 Rock last night and it's like, there's just so many jokes about Liz Lemon eating six donuts, right? And I was like, I just watch it sometimes and I'm like, wow, like that's, it's a it's sort of culturally accepted that we binge, it's culturally accepted that we restrict. It's like eating disorders are in many ways like very culturally accepted. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. I mean, when I treat people, I, I, I talk about noise. Like they'll be talking to me and I'll be like, oh my God, that is just so noisy, right? One of my clients came in yesterday, he said, well, I think I want to do intermittent fasting. I want to do an 18, six. Cause like, I, I, you know, then I don't have to eat. I'm like, Oh my God, my head hurts. Like there's such a more peaceful way to live with food. You don't have to be so scared of it. Like there's a, a whole different way that we can live, but that is part of the divorcing dieting too. Mm -hmm. Right. And because food is a substance you have to use. And, and I agree, by the way, I subscribe to this with, you know, this is sort of a, the harm reduction concept in substance use is the necessary thing that you have to treat with food. And 
you know, what I say to people is it, it, there is not a question if you're going to mess this up. You're definitely going to mess it up with the food. But the way the diet culture has us messing up with the food is, as I say this in the book, it's like we get a flat tire in our car and we get out of our car and we slash off four tires and we torch our car and we leave it in the middle of the highway, mic drop, you know, until the next time we can afford to buy a car. And that's how we behave with food. And if we behaved like that with any other relationship in our life, we would have no relationships. I don't shut down the clinic if I have a hard day, right? I don't end my best friendship if we get in a fight, but with the food, it's like we have a half of a cookie and it's like, oh, okay, that's done. And that, that impacts the relationship with self. So answering this question of, you know, is it a problem? I mean, I think the solution set is, is just, it's so vast. It's like what you're saying. The solution set is so vast and diet culture has us believing that it's a black and white issue, right? And it is so far from that, with the, especially with the food. And I think there's a piece of self-forgiveness that comes when you really get into relationship with food and you make an error and you self-correct and you get curious about what happened and you learn about yourself. I mean, it's really powerful stuff if you can sort of brainwash yourself out of diet culture. So to me, like breaking up with sugar in and of itself is not sufficient in creating a healthy relationship with food by any means. It's a diet. Right. And, and how would you, how would you take just for, for listeners, like this idea of, okay, there's a food plan, not eating sugar and flour, but it's not a diet. Like no. talk me through what my friend just texted me about this this morning. She was, that looks like a diet. Like, I was like, Melissa, I know I'm so sorry, but the pro and I agree. I mean, and I write this in the book, like, you know, we call her, morbidly obese Molly read that too. And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't you tell me to weigh and measure my food. Like, don't you tell me. But here's the problem. And I think this is just like, this is the whole thing. Like, right, like, it looks like a diet to me. It's like, I found in my experience in recovery that I read that the boundaries are really where I find the freedom, mm -hmm. right? And the, my favorite piece of data is the data on self-determination says really clearly that when we determine that we are going to do this on for ourselves, that's when change really sits. But most people who are reading this book have kind of destroyed their relationship with food. And so we need to get some foundation back, right? Like it's got, there's been an earthquake, you know, and so we got to rebuild and the way we rebuild that is by all evidence-based stuff, right? By getting structure around when you eat, by getting structure around what you eat, by getting structure about how much you eat, right? Side note, hardcore harm reductionists. First of all, whole chapter on the book, what to do when you don't want to do what you know what you're supposed to do, right? Like we got to know, because I because going back to sugar makes it chemical. We don't want to do that. There's all sorts of other things, you know, that you can do. And number two, whole chapter in the book on what I call humble eating, which is on figuring out your version of this after you've done it for a while. I think that is essential. I had chickpea mac and cheese last night because I can handle it 10 years in. It was a great, I mean, see, that's how I enjoy myself, Annie. There, there's another thing I do for fun. I had my brother over for chickpea mac and cheese. It was heavenly. That's awesome. Um, I love that. So it's like, 
and it is true, like freedom does come in boundaries and rules because it's this idea of like a firm decision. Like when you've decided something, when you've committed to something, there's so much freedom. Praise. That's it. And, and that's what I found in all of my recovery. In the beginning, it's not, and it's not, um, it's not like a patriarchal sort of thing, but in the beginning, I, I didn't, I was so kind of, I didn't have my mind back yet. I didn't have my wisdom back yet. It was sort of in the ICU, you know, and as I healed, my own internal wisdom came back. My decision-making got more solid, right? Because I'm not saying intuitive eating, because today, if still, if you said, what intuitively do you want? I'd be like cookie dough, always. I always want cookie dough. But if you say humbly, Molly, knowing what works for you, knowing what doesn't, what do you want to have for dinner tonight? I'd be like, I think I want a Mediterranean, you know? that sounds like, or some sushi or something, you know? So I think there's a real difference uh, in intuitive eating versus humble eating because humble eating makes an assumption that you know what works and what doesn't for you and you humbly accept that, you know? Yeah, I, I love um, this idea of just like, know what you can't screw around with. Oh, like I the sooner you know what you can't screw around with, the sooner your life <laughs> just gets way better. In fairness with the food, Sometimes I have to go redo that data, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. But, but that's part of being really mindful about it. It's like you're going to redo it in a way that's like, okay, well, right. has it changed? Has it shifted? Allowing yeah, that. Yeah. Usually yeah. no over here, but <laughs> <laughs> still can't have kind bars. Okay. Okay. Sounds mm -hmm. good. <laughs> and so when, yeah, that's another question, I guess, that I, I think people are curious about is like, I know for me when um, I try to not eat very much sugar at all, but like it is really everywhere. So if you're- no, it is real. I have this like Facebook group and they're like with the bacon and with the, it's so in the yogurt, it's literally in everything. And, and the book does talk about flour too. So bring cornstarch into that. I mean, starch, it's just, it's just, and listen, I mean, there's a lot of people, well, actually not a lot of people, but there's a small amount of people making a lot of money off of adding that in ingredients that in places you never thought it would have. I mean, that's sort of what the epidemic is about anyway, is that it's just everywhere now. It's not nice. Yeah, I remember trying to buy bacon. That's a perfect, oh, like almost impossible. it was like even at vitamin cottage or natural grocery, right. you know, what people have everywhere they are, but basically a health food store, it was difficult to find a bacon that didn't have sugar added. And, yeah. um, and so how does that work in the body? You know, if you, because I'm sure that unknowingly, you know, because it is hard to be hyper vigilant when you're traveling or when you're something else. And like, do you have any tips for that? Or is it more yeah. of a... So two things. So first of all, I am um, like, I'm a therapist by trade. Like so I'm a trained addictions and eating disorders therapist and I'm not a nutritionist. And so I wrote this book with a nutritionist. Like I wrote the food plan with my dear friend, Nikki, um, who's one of like three nutritionists that believes in, in food addiction. So Nikki has this rule. It's really a great rule because here's the thing. There, there is a, 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 a very um, rigid belief system. Some people with food addiction need to bring your scale everywhere. You can't have salt. You can't have, it's like, I mean, it, literally like the defiance in me as I even say this, she was like, let's, let's just go have cupcakes. Like, you know, the, the abstinence violation of talking about it. So to me, it's like, we got to find this middle path because when you do, if you really do have the problem and you get into the solution, you really know it, right? Because it's like going from seeing black and white to seeing color. And you and I both know that, right? But with the food, it's like, I, if you're living a big, beautiful life, it's very unlikely you're going to eat all your food at home and you're never going to have to get something on the go. And that 
you know, and I, I just, I want this to be doable and tenable. So the two things, number one, we made this thing called the fifth ingredient rule. So if sugar or flour is the fifth ingredient or less, five, six, seven, eight, nine, the food's good to go. Now I've had people like find frozen yogurt with it. And I'm like, you know, spirit of the law, not the, we shouldn't be eating frozen yogurt. Okay. You do what you want to do. Sorry. I didn't mean that. But you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, but number two is like cravings aren't commands. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had some white rice sushi that was sugar filled. I was absolutely triggered, but I didn't have to go eat more. <laughs> I just had a feeling, a biochemical reaction and a feeling that I wanted more. It doesn't mean I have to go have more. So I think both of those two things help to secure freedom. And I, I want people to be able to have freedom in a really big way. I want them to travel and go out to dinner and not plan sometimes because their life got too big and they forgot and not have to go slice all the tires, right? Like we really want, because for a lot of people, food is, in my experience, you know, I, I talk to people about their food problems. They start like when mine, did, well, not when mine did, but like seven. I mean, I'm talking to people about decades and decades and decades of this thing. And it's like enough already. And how do you think, and you may not know the answer to this, but I have, I have three kids and they all three, treat they're raised in the same house you know same yeah. parents but they treat sugar very differently my oldest one he is kind of a take it or leave it my middle child if he gets deprived somehow of you know what he thinks he should i mean it's if you were to leave him alone with halloween candy he wouldn't come out until he was sick you know and they yeah. just have very different attraction to the substance i think it's um say this in the book. I mean, it's such an, it's, I think biodiversity is like the most fascinating part of like the human nature. Um, but I think it's why, I mean, when, when someone tells you one way, run away, right. I mean, it's what I love about your writing. You know, it's like, we cannot sit here and say that one thing works for all people. It's just, it's, it's crazy. And, and we always have to take into account the nature of the substance, the nature of the environment, and then the nature of the person. Right. And even though they both have the same parents, like there's just so many factors that go into sensitivity with this stuff, emotional, biological, spiritual. I know it's pretty, pretty nuts. Isn't okay. One of the things that I just really appreciated about breaking up with sugar, the book is like um, the education first, you know, like really saying, okay, like treat you as an adult. I want you to know what's happening. Yeah. I want people to be as smart as me. I always say that at my, at my, at my clinic. I'm always like, because I think that's true with the food, especially because you're, you know, if I, I work on what East 44th Street, you pass three bodegas by the time you get to my office. Come over anytime, Annie. But um, great, we have so much fun. So I think the stimulation with the food, your brain's got to be like doctorate level about this. And that's why I wanted to get that information to people in a way that was really palatable, no pun intended, and not too sciencey, like not that would want their brains to explode. Be like, oh, okay, yeah, that does make sense to me. And I think one of the most important things is like, so if we're looking at maybe like you know, a scale of like the cravings, the physical aspect, the habitual behaviors, that everything's been done before, all the beliefs about it's not going to work, and then we're looking yeah. at this other thing, and we keep adding to the other side of this 
the facts, the facts, the facts, the education, the education, the education, it really can like shift your entire life. But in order for that conversation even Annie, to happen. Do you know this piece of research? I feel like you should know this. I'm sure you do. But do you know how many times some, this is drugs and alcohol, how many times somebody attempts to quit drugs and alcohol before they do it successfully? Mm -mm. Eight to 13 times with drugs, with an abstinent. So three strikes and you're out, three strikes, you're just getting started. Like, you, like that believe it. And with the food, it's like, I think you could add zeros. I think it's probably 80 to hundred. You just never, I've been addiction service my whole life. You never know which one's going to work. That's the truth of it. Yeah. It's amazing. That's oh, interesting. No, I didn't know that. I'll have to get the, the source. It's very exciting to me. I'll get it for you. But that's, I, it, the idea that I've added research to your life is like, that's no, great. That, that's, that's great. Having, I have no yeah. idea. Um, and I think that when we're adding these facts, like, but I, I think the, the problem is that we are not open to the facts when we make them mean something negative about ourselves, when we're using the weapons of blame and shame. So there's, you literally can overcome, in my belief, anything by just putting the good information in your brain so you actually change your desire. So you don't want the sugar anymore so that chickpea mac and cheese is your treat so that you're having living your best life you're living with the low level gratitude you're in like the zone but that comes with the change of desire and the change of desire comes with all the education and knowledge which our brains are just hungry for but we're resistant to all of that when we're still living in the shame and the blame and the guilt and I think there's a piece too and this is literally that second chapter in my book talks about commitment talks about staying the course uh, Marshall Linehan, who's one of my teachers of dialectical behavior therapy, she says, you know, motivation waxes and wanes, right? But our commitment needs to be kind of permanent. And so, you know, I think after 66 days, you know, your brain really does get some automacy. And if, if you can start to reframe this idea of, you know, the ebbs and flows of all relationships and start to really reframe this, A, we decrease blame and shame, right? Because we're doing the vulnerability dance, which is great. And we're, we're sort of looking at it differently. And I just think if you make a commitment that you're just going to be in this thing, you can't mess it up. Oh. Yeah. You can't mess it up. It's impossible. It's impossible. Right. Like, it, I mean, it's so it's cliche. Totally reframing this diet thing. I mean, nobody in January is saying what I'm saying. Right. They're all like, oh, we're going to fix it right now. Feb right. 1, you're done. I'm like, oh, that's a lie. Yeah. Uh, so... No, basically the path is to stumble and stumble and stumble and stumble and stumble and just get very much closer to- So unsexy. I'm like, no, this is a long-term relationship. I was like, no, no, no. I want a quick fix, quick affair, please. No, Molly. Yeah. But there's so much peace here. I mean, you have to be in a relationship with food. There's no out. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know for me, like my relationship with food really changed two and a half years ago because um, I just had some weird- gut issues after the birth and I started to see a naturopath and I went and had a blood test and like many people came back that like there are certain things that just I can't I can't eat and at first like this idea of like oh my gosh I'm gonna be I, I remember making so much fun of my mother for not eating gluten like it was literally like a pastime of mine right. and then suddenly here's like the black and white blood test saying that it inflames my gut and will give me the stomach pain that I've been experiencing I'm like this is crap. And, and now, you know, too, and I, I went from something and it is to that automatic response, the automacy that you're talking about. Like it's the, um, I went from something that was, I was not only so resistant to, um, but now it's like, it's not even on my radar. It's not even something I would consider oh, yeah. with 
be to eat gluten. Like, I, I, why would I ever do that? And, and I don't miss it and I don't feel deprived. And like, but, but I think that's imagine with, with things that we are dependent and judgment. I was like that with meditation. My stepfather's just big meditator. And I was like, oh, never me, you know, until I hit a bottom. And I was like, can you teach me meditation? And now I'm like a devoted meditator. It's like, I just don't always, I don't know if this is the right way to say, but I think that sometimes my reactive thought is so deeply rooted in protecting me accidentally, you know, like. I'm, I'm always a hard no. So I always let that first thought kind of go past. Like, that's an interesting idea. What else do you have to share, Molly? You know? I love that. And yeah, so at the crux of it, it is becoming really aware of your thinking about whatever it is, because you can't, if you're not, you know, you have to examine all of the, those negative thoughts and all of the thoughts that are just, like you say, the noise yeah. that's coming and, you know, your brain has all these solutions. It's going to fix it this way or that way in order to actually create enough space for the education and the mindset shift. And so like, you know, in this naked mind, like I've taken the book and I've created an, an institute where I'm teaching other coaches. And that was like a mind bending thing because I was like, okay, how do I take what was just narrative for me and actually create like yeah. methodology, right? And, okay. and really the crux of it was it's a path. So it's pause, act, transform and hone. I always like it to be a little memorable thing. Okay. But the pause is about putting down the weapons of blame and shame and creating the space. And I actually, like in my journey, I, I stopped trying to stop drinking. That's how I got off the alcohol diet mentalities. I stopped uh -huh. trying to stop. And I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this and I'm just going to accept that there's an answer, but it's not in what I've been doing. And it's certainly not in this cycle. Yeah. So I'm going to pause and I'm going to learn. And then once I had enough of that kind of education piling up, the desire to make a different choice fueled me through. That. I also think creating curiosity around, so we, I, at least for me, it's like I got such shame around uh, lapsing, you know, and if I, and what I do here, a lot of the work we do here is is doing an analysis. Like it's like an exciting thing. We can learn so much and really understanding what my vulnerabilities were, right? It's like, and I didn't even know because I was so like blacked out. I couldn't even think the shame was so deep, but it's like, I didn't even know I couldn't go out to dinner with my friend Karen because she was a food pusher, you know? Or I didn't know that like when it's really cold out, you know, I'm more vulnerable to eat like little teeny things that you have no idea about. Right. Or if I'm angry, you know, I really need to have my food plan because I'm more vulnerable to going off plan. It's just these little things and they're, they're so empowering. And because I think that when you heal the relationship with food, you inevitably heal your relationship with self and you get to know yourself better. Like I was never one of these people that thought I would like, even like myself. You know, I was, I've been, I was suicidal a lot of my life. It was very like loose relationship with life and through behavior mostly, right? Through esteemable, loving, kind of thoughtful behavior. I transformed this relationship with myself. It's like an added bonus. I just didn't want to be so in, in bed with food all the time. But the, what has happened to my relationship with myself is like, wow. And so many people I treat, I treat this one guy, Ben, and he was one of those people and he would walk around the streets and say, how are people happy? Like, how are people, cause he just wanted to die all the time, 350 pounds, tried everything. And, and this is what I mean about, you never know what time's going to work. Cause I, I don't know how I said to him, can you suspend your belief for a minute? I mean, I say that a lot of times 
in the you know 15 years I've been doing this? And he said, yes, and he's better now. And he is in life, new job, new girl, new, you know, all upgrade, you know? And this is what happens when we just take a minute. Is that, One of my business advisors always says this thing to me, you know, Molly, is it true or do you think it's true? And usually in those conversations, it's like, well, Scott, I think it's true, you know, (laughs) (laughs) as it turns out, you know, (laughs) and I think we got to do that. And you talk about this so much in your book, but I think we have to really be clear and and sort of be able to sign on the dotted line. Like I will agree to that this belief is true. And there's, and with food, it is because it's such a crooked path. So many of our beliefs that we are really abiding by, like it is the constitution are just wrong. Right. I remember I had a conversation recently with someone who's like, I didn't even realize my beliefs wouldn't be true. And I think that's where a lot of us start is like, well, I believe it. Of course it's yeah, true. So it is. Like just change that belief. What if it was, I know someone's like, oh, I'm just a failure. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I literally said this. Recently. I don't, your definition of that and my definition of that are like probably really far off. I don't also don't believe in it. So explain that to me. And as we, unpack that idea of I'm a failure, she's like, oh God, what was I doing here? And I'm like spending 20 years on really fake news, you know, like not good. I I love like what you're painting, what you're talking about and, and what I think, you know, taking a look at this through your methodology can really deliver is, is this idea of what you think is such a big deal right now. For me, it was like French bread. I was gonna, you know, oh my God, like never, right? And, or cupcakes or cookie dough, like they just feel like, how am I gonna make Christmas cookies with my kids? How is that actually gonna work? I know. What you trade it and you look back and you say, that was so small compared to all this, you know, because everything opens up and everything unlocks. One of my clients was saying this to me yesterday, Gail because she's now in it. And she said, you know, I remember so, um, so profoundly my first Thanksgiving, I said to you, Molly, what are you going to eat on Thanksgiving? And she said, and you looked at me and you said, I don't know, some turkey, a potato, some vegetables. And she's like, and I didn't get it. Like, but you had done it so many times that you were like, to me, Thanksgiving, I just call it Thursday. Like it's Thursday dinner, you know, it's going to cost some dinner. Like, but before I think that's also the bind that the hold that that's a biochemical hold a little bit right like Mm -hmm. I cannot live without you you know I can never live I remember when I quit drinking and I said to my friend was considering it maybe I was like on day three and I said to my friend Shoshana like what happens when I go to Italy you know and she says oh my god you have a trip to Italy and I was like no but what happens if I want to go to Italy you know and I've been to Italy and I've been to Paris and it's like so much better, but it's really hard to believe that when you're trapped in the thing. It's, I've gone to those places, no sugar, no flour, no drinking. Great times. Yeah. Yeah. So amazing. Better times. It's just no, like it, better, better is like an understatement of a word. Yeah. And I'm not that I'm not that fun when I'm when I'm eating when I'm eating and drinking those things. I'm like a really bad time. I'm really we're depressed. Not when we're like all in our own heads about all exactly. this. When we're like the brain can be actually a fun place when you can open, like clear out all the, you know, the yeah. noise, as you say. So Beautiful good. and fascinating. And I'm, you know, I'm really fun. I'm a really fun person kind of straight, you know? So as it turns out, I had no idea. I learned that very recently, last 10 years, you know? 
<laughs> well, Molly, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. So where can people find you? Where can they get your book? Where they can they learn more about you with their yeah. New York City? Well, so I have this brand new website, mollycarmel.com. On this website, I they're for free. There's this thing called the anti-perfection plan. Because this is what I think is the real thing after we give up sugar. We have to learn alternatives to being perfect, not to slash all four tires. And so that's for free up there. And I do Facebook lives every and Instagram lives on 9 p.m. on Sunday nights. I'm all about like you are like building this community because it's hard to find like-minded people. And, you know, we've got to stay connected through this. It's so important. So important. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's, it's been an awesome conversation as I knew it would be. And I really appreciate That's it. Time. Thank you so much. Have you tried the alcohol experiment? Okay, if not, drop everything and go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. This free 30-day challenge is designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You remember it was that version of you that's living your most joyful life, the version that doesn't need alcohol to relax or to have a good time and is having more fun than ever. And again, this is a totally free challenge that will change everything for you. So learn more and join me 100% free at thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.